Yep. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. What's the most you ever lost on a coin toss? Sir? I feel the need. The need for speed. Ow! Good morning, Vietnam! What country are you from? What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English in what? 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Hey. All right, all right, all right. These cards are 11. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I must break you. Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. Can I speak with you? We love some movie characters, and sometimes the best way to get into the characters we love most is to dig deep into their motives, their calling, and their sense of self. Talk about what they really, really want. This is movie typing, where we select, engage, and unveil the intentions and drive of the greatest characters on film. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is T.J. Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and personality typing expert. Hello. Boss, we are joined by our good friend Sean Palmer again. Howdy. Sean is enduring 128-degree heat there in uh, Houston, Texas. The surface of the sun. <laughs> Fry an egg on the, in the middle of the street just for fun? We, well, we do that anyway here. You know, so it's just like the, the national summer pastime of, of Houston, Texas. Do you get a lot of people doing that, like, baking cookies in the car during work thing? Um, I haven't seen <laughs> that. But there, I mean, there are some, like, it's hot in Texas, like, practical things. Like, yeah. Oh, like you really cannot walk your dog like on the pavement after like eight o'clock in the morning. And like sure. if you if you bake a lot, you store your chocolate chips like in the refrigerator. Oh, if, they're, yeah. if they're in the pantry or, on, you know, like just little little things like that, because it is it's unseasonably warm uh, this June. Yeah. Coming back to the world of Wakanda. We're going to pick up our deep dive into Wakanda forever. Last time we hit a lot of themes. This time we're going to hit a lot of typing. And so we're going to actually personality type this sucker with all these themes in mind. As I rewatched this this morning, grief, succession, clashes of culture, a topic that didn't necessarily make our last podcast, but I would love to talk about uh, being mature and immature leadership all thrown into this this movie. Mm -hmm. As we said last time, there's a lot of stuff that we may skip that is kind of MCU world building. But if you take that out, jump into to the real scenes, not just the you know the plot they're going here, 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 but there are some great scenes mm -hmm. that expose the human heart and, and we'll we'll highlight those most. So that's kind of my my brief setup. You guys got yeah. thoughts before we jump in? Um, I want to applaud you for having watched the movie again, because <laughs> I, I, I drew the line at five times. <laughs> One that I am, I had to revise my rough draft. Mm -hmm. But in terms of this movie, you know, you were talking about immature leadership versus mature leadership. Like that's the, that's one of the big themes of both movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it not when you just look at Injadaka versus T'Challa in, in the first one and how to go about dealing with and carrying this immense wealth, immense knowledge and power into the world. And both of them are trying to figure that out. Um, one of them seems more heroic than the other, kind of in the pages of a comic. 
And that's one of the things I think most folks, in whether in organizations or businesses, churches, the nation, don't look at whether a person's leadership style is mature and maturing. It's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to, just to put that on the table as, hey, there's there's actually growth for leaders. Yeah. We have a world now, right, where if, you, if a leader changes their mind, that means they're wishy-washy. Not that they've grown, yeah. not that they've learned, not that they've expanded. It means they're inconsistent. And I, I, I'm glad that they offered that as a conversation point to talk about in the film. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a good word. When uh, Just to bring in U.S. presidents there for a second, as you were talking, I was thinking younger presidents like a, like a Teddy Roosevelt or a, or a John F. Kennedy, young, but they've both suffered. Mm-hmm. Roosevelt's lost a wife. Kennedy's body is just a mess, and he's a he's a war vet. Have at least endured some pain, such that when it comes time to make decisions, they end up having some perspective. And then we we know what it looks like to have very old people take the presidency who who lack maturity, right, and haven't endured pain. That seems to me a huge part of this movie. Is the the role of pain in decision making? Mm-hmm. Uh, for Shuri and Namor, right? They are they are elevated into leadership out of pain. Yep, out of an experience of pain. Yeah, T'Challa and uh, Ramonda as well. Give me that person every time. Uh, if you haven't suffered, what do you know? Is a Jewish proverb. Somewhere I don't know where it's from. <laughs> I read it once, and I was like, "That's exactly what. <laughs> that's where. That's where. That's wisdom right there." If if you haven't suffered, what do you? What do you know? Um, no, I was I was uh, on a teaching a group of of female pastors like last month, and one of the first questions was, "What is leadership?" Yeah, mm-hmm. and I said, "It's suffering, mm-hmm. right?" So so if you um, there there's a place in that and that, that's the great thing I find like about the Enneagram work that I do folks who are willing to know the Enneagram beyond I'm a four I'm a five I'm an eight and that sort of thing that playing at that top level of like party talk are the folks who can identify their personality patterns and go oh because of the things that I've endured like I know that there's more to explore mm-hmm. and, and, and places that need refinement and growth and development. Yeah. Many of us who, nobody wants pain, right? But for the folks who are most successfully avoiding it, always avoid the deep work whenever it, whenever it comes. So yep. um, our friend Suzanne Stabile once told me, she said the best thing about you and the Enneagram is that you discovered the Enneagram after failure, like after mm-hmm. public failure. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, that was her take, but I can see where it would be true. Uh, so I was at a place where I couldn't sideline it. Couldn't be, oh, that's kind of interesting. I could identify the patterns really quickly. And I think maybe like when you watch this movie, the characters who have, and this is just as true in life, the characters who have, endured and suffered the most both are the most comfortable in who they are in terms of their personality and the most willing to go beyond the crutches and limitations of their personality yeah Mm. one that's an excellent word t 
too. I wonder my my experience of coming to Enneagram was in the midst, and so was my wife, who is a three. I, I can see the value of threes coming to Enneagram after failure, and I imagine that was her point. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We had a real tough season while coming to the material. It created a different. It, it created something to lean against. Um, I would be curious how many people. You know, Enneagram ends up being one of those things. It's like a religious conversion. Like if you're not actually in the midst of something hard, it, I'm. I, I sometimes I don't know that this material really jumps or has hooks. Well, I think for for especially for immature people who have not experienced any kind of significant suffering, uh, particularly thinking about threes and sevens. If they find the Enneagram before that suffering happens, then the Enneagram could very easily be a tool to use to reframe as opposed to going through the work. Like the Enneagram could very easily make reframing easier. Mm. Right. right. For, th- for threes and sevens. Whereas if you come to it after, then you, you see it, you see the patterns and you see some of the growth opportunities as opposed to ways you can use it to get away from the suffering that you're going through well the film is arguably about an enneagram seven going through pain and coming out the other side what does her character arc look like we left off with sherry and ramanda on the shore contemplating what it would look like to burn some funeral garments Mm. and the antagonist arrives kind of upsets that process and there's probably something to be said there that Sherry isn't ready yet to do all the work and needs to needs to have some stuff happen so that she can get there by the end. I was going to say your your arc of uh, immature to mature leadership, like it yeah. kind of begins with um, begins on that shore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because up until that point, even with the invitations of Ramonda up until that point, all of Shuri's focus has been on her own pain. And, and in the midst of grief, right, you, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> like We're all like that when yeah. we're grieving. But right. the, uh, what, you're, what we're about to talk about is what, what actually invites her to step outside of her own pain to see, to see a bigger world and, and a world that is also in grief. Yeah. I would love to keep coming back to that, the looking at your own suffering, your own pain, and the ability to look at somebody else's suffering, somebody else's pain. That comes up not only in Sherry, but in a handful of characters and how they wrestle through that. That's good. Well, a South American-looking man covered in vibranium jewelry steps out of the water. This is surprising to the two women. Ramonda says, Who are you? I have many names. My people call me Ahkukumkan. But my enemies call me Namor. You had brought this up last time, Sean, in terms of there's real meaning in this statement in terms of how are you going to address me? Mm -hmm. This is almost a challenge. Like uh, the last movie had two names, Eric Stevenson and Njadaka. And those are two very different names. Mm -hmm. And who are you going to call me? You know, and it seems that the antagonist likewise here. Who are you? How are you? Who do you say that I am? (laughs) You know? Well, I mean, like a little on the nose, right? But Namor is just Roman spelled backwards. Right. right? (laughs) Uh, You know, and that's a character name from the comic book. But I think, you know, he shows up making a threat um, 
which is kind of unfair to Ramonda and Shuri, right? Like he's going to make a threat, but then he's going to like what he is the whole time. What he is doing is projecting power um, that he can, he can get into Wakanda anytime that he wants the machine that Riri Williams has built. Like they dump, he says, I have more soldiers than the, you have blades of grass, which, you know, from a storytelling standpoint, you're kind of like, well, if you can do all that, why do you need the Wakandans to hunt down this college student? <laughs> right. Like that's, this seems kind of, kind of silly. Um, but it's a, it's a threat all the way at, at the very least, it is a projection of power, uh, that I am strong and you will bend to my strength. And you can either do that as a friend or an enemy, but you will bend to my strength. Well, I think even even more than just a friend, like I, I, I think that he is not necessarily offering a hand of friendship. Um, because like he says, my people call me a god. Mm-hmm. So you can either view me as someone who is far above you, or you can call me death. Like, like we are either we are enemies or we you are subservient to me. Those are some extreme options going on yeah. there. Yeah, and, and like he doesn't lay that out specifically, but I think that's how he sort of views himself in this position. Yeah, it's it's, de- it's definitely been to me. Yeah, got some Targaryen going on in, in this uh, interaction. Really want to save the deep dive into Namor and the typing in Namor. Yeah. For later, and and because we're gonna get some huge backstory and imagery and motive, and there's not a ton going on here. Mm-hmm. I do think that there there is something interesting. I want to earmark that he thinks the Wakandans need to make it their problem, and he's telling them to do the job so that he and his folks can remain hidden. And I think when we get into typing motive and all the rest, for me that was a that that ended up being worthy of of note. Yeah. At this point, lots of exposition and plot ensue. Uh, Namor is going to scold them for unveiling the existence of vibranium. Tatala's choice, he believes, has compromised his people because this very valuable resource is now known. Namor is going to tell them that there is a machine that can detect it. He wants to remain invisible, so Wakandan must solve this, this huge problem. He tells them to find and subdue the creator of the machine, leaves a shell in the machine that was detecting vibranium so they understand what's at stake. The shell is for communication. And then the Wakandan council assembles and notes that there is no longer a Black Panther to protect Wakanda. And we're reminded here of all the tribes and the different factions. And we're shown M'Baku who walks in. Okoye had been in some previous scenes. But the power dynamic that has replaced T'Challa all of a sudden emerges. If my soldiers were present, this fishman would be bound before us as we if speak. If your muscle brains were present, they would still be there, choking on their fuzzy adornments. You bald-headed demon. Show some respect, you two. Respect? These men should be ashamed to show their faces. Watch your tone, Jabari. Ooh, ooh, And it feels to me like it was deliberative and kind of, you know, Knights of the Round Table... Uh, consensus seeking before, but it feels like it's even more elevated for me in this particular scene. Do you guys have thoughts on on just the dynamics of Wakanda in uh, 
in this throne room scene. One of the things that that sh- sort of struck me about this is the how interesting that the the council and and not necessarily to be critical of them, but like this is the same council that said okay when Njadaka took over. Like this council, it seems like they are not embodying wisdom the way that we would hope a council would. And and a lot of the like in that conversation about uh, mature and immature leadership, I think that without an a mature person in the chair, this council is not representative of mature leadership, and also fairly fear based. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and their reactions throughout the whole, throughout both movies have been based in loyalty mm-hmm. and fear. Yeah. Like it, it reads to me as a very six council who, if a strong man shows up or a defender, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a strong man and a defender can be the same thing or have the same personality traits. It just depends on how they are directed. Yeah. Because one of the things that a strong man promises to the fearful is I will protect you. Right. Right. And the same thing a defender promises is I will protect you. It's just whether their motivations are Malovian or not. <laughs> you know? Um and and are they trying to empower and protect the community or using their strength to enrich themselves? We had talked in our previous podcast on Black Panther, um, that Sean, I, I want to say you thought that the black, that, uh, Wakanda itself was more of a three ish society. And in this case, they're going to six and stress. If, if you were to type a culture and how a culture functions in these sorts of moments, am I wrong there? Or would I, you, I, I don't remember. I think a three ish society would have wanted the world to know that they were there a lot sooner. Yeah. yeah. And that they, um, that they were as powerful as they were, but they would not have been as gracious to give it away. Um, then as, as they end up being in the, at the end of the first movie. Um, so, you know, three culture threes in general, are, aren't like eights in this regard. Threes are fine with other people leading. If they just leave them alone to do what they want to do. Mm. Um, um, they don't have to be the leader in the room uh, as long as they have their own sandbox to play in and you just leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I'm not, you know, people talk about three uh, America being a three country, but we have had a ton of six leaders yeah. and we've had a ton of nine leaders, which you would think, mm-hmm. you know, on a surface level would never be the case. So I could very easily see them having a lot of those and three, six and nine, the movement between the anchor points, I come back to this over and over again, is so frequent and so much, more so than any other of the, the harmonies, that it's hard to tell sometimes. And yeah. it, if you don't know someone well or you don't know an organization well, um, what their instincts are, you know, there, there aren't a lot of three personalities I see in Wakanda. So uh, that kind of makes me think it's more of a it's more of a six country. I think a three country would have wanted the world to know we're here. This is what we're capable of well before we get to the end of the first Black Panther movie. 
Yeah. I suppose I had thought of them more of a five-ish. They're withdrawn. They're self-protective. They're they're very concerned with the resources they have and their posture with the resources. That, but here in this uh, particular meeting of the council, it feels like Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of reactive energy to outside threats. Mm -hmm. And well, and it's the first it's the first time in their history that they have felt a threat from outside. Yeah, like a legitimate threat, right? That like could they actually harm them. Yeah, right. All, all of the other fear, like if we share, you know, even at the very beginning when Ramonda says, like, we knew what you would do with this, this technology if you had it, but that's all been projection. Mm-hmm. But now, now someone with wings on their feet, right, has shown up, and uh, they have reason to be fearful in a way that they've never been fearful before. Right. I suppose in a, a Koye will say it in a future scene. It's not just him showing up being powerful. It's him showing up and deconstructing their whole faith tradition in terms of the the mound. Mm-hmm. He is a part of a culture that likewise has vibranium, and they had seen their identity in vibranium and their uniqueness in vibranium, a lot of their self understanding in vibranium, and so. There's a, there's a there's a handful of things going on mm-hmm. that might pose a threat there. Uh, plus the the metaphysical aspect, especially for like if we're talking about sixes, if if someone has placed their trust in the story that God came down and gave them this one thing and they are the only ones. Yep. What happens when we find alien life on another planet? I mean, other vibranium on the on the Earth. You know. Yeah changes the story there's a i imagine it's the case that many traditions have a we are the chosen ones as it were mm-hmm. you can gear up and your tribe finds a lot of their energy out of yeah again their uniqueness and when that gets confronted what do you do right you got to grow up uh, here's a theme that's emerging <laughs> as we talk <laughs> i also think it's an interesting dynamic between uh, that's not directly addressed between the the Tolokan versus uh, the Wakandans. Like, what happens when we find out that there are other people with vibranium, and how do we respond? And the, the Tolokan wants to remain hidden, and Wakanda wants to try and figure out like like how do we maybe partner or like like this changes everything, and the Tolokan wants it to change nothing. Interesting dynamic. One last part of the dynamic at play. We we typed Romanda as a four. Uh, all of us on our sheets that we shared with we with each other typed uh, Mbaku as an eight. And if this is a six-ish culture, four sixes and eights all solve problems emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that's just something worth n- naming here. Do you feel the same way I do about the problem? Let me pitch the problem. I want you to feel what I'm feeling right now. And so that's, I mean, that's just going to be a, a lot of energy in terms of what should we do? And there's, there's not a, I don't, there's not necessarily a voice saying, let's, let's not be afraid. Let's think about the practical implications here. Yeah. They're, they're all talking about their fear. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if, if Sean, if you joined us on this, TJ and I, and I had typed T'Challa as a one, but assuming that T'Challa was a one, there's the vacuum or there's a the, mm-hmm. an absence of somebody who would have solved this in a more analytic way yeah uh, who would have gone into competency 
right? Much more analytical when you step back from it. Yeah, yeah. This also is the the thing that Namor brings to the table in in my in my in my my twenty eighth viewing. <laughs> Routinely is solving things competently. What are my assets? What's my position on the board? It's all a chess game, and I would prefer to stand back as much as possible and analyze as a, he feels like a, a stat, a, what do you call it, a strategist? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, strategist. I'm gonna W this strategist. <laughs> <laughs> and even in the very last scene with Namor, as he's talking to Namora about their, how we're gonna play this out, it's, it's, it, it's, our emotions about this should not matter. This is, this is how the board is set up and what we need to do. And now we just got to wait for it, wait for it, yeah. wait for it. And, well, he has the benefit, Namor has the benefit of being very old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? Uh, um, but that, you know, as an eight, like that, that picking up that five energy is what makes eights strategists. So after they get past that initial emotional response to begin to think more strategically is often the case. So, you know, I know plenty of folks with eight energy who, when something happens, they do want to solve it with an emotional response, which, which is what he does, right? Mm-hmm. He, they, they attack the, the boat at the very beginning. He invades Wakanda and it takes the whole arc of the movie before he gets to the place where he says like, okay, let's think about a strategy now. Um, but his first instinct was to react, you know, emotionally, even, even when he's a kid. Right. Um, and he sees yeah, how the house down. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that's, I think, I think it tracks like through his whole arc. Well, we'll dive into that. That's worth earmarking in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, like you and I, well, actually all three of us have different typing for, uh, for Namor. So we'll have that discussion here in a second. Um, well, there's going to be a pivot. Ramonda and Okoye are going to enter Shuri's lab. Okoye comments on the blue suit. <laughs> Is it just me or does this keep getting uglier? It's you. I bring that up only because the we're new, you're old consistently is coming up in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Sherry's going to show them the vibranium detector. Then there's this exchange along those lines. I am still struggling to believe that vibranium exists outside of Wakanda. Perhaps there was more than one meteorite. Our planet is covered of mostly water, so it's reasonable that the other one just landed there. This changes everything that we know. The Great Mound, all of the legends and fables. Those stories are seared in my mind. And Shuri has a throwaway line here, which I just love. She just, she dismisses all of this and says, That sounds very painful. <laughs> and I, I love that as a condescending line, again, of a person who scoffs at tradition, as she's described in that first movie. I suppose we could go one step further and say, Okoye may move in this, in this movie. Sean, you had mentioned in our last conversation that you thought that she was a six. Specifically, I assume that that was informed in some part by the comic book presentation is what I got the sense of. I had always assumed she was an eight, but we've only had a brief conversation there. So, but the, her, her motive, I think, is very much out front in her not being able 
to engage this new truth about her culture and about you know the 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 symbols of of her faith mm -hmm. well i mean because i type her as a sick i mean there are some reasons why i think that she's a six and i think this conversation is really emblematic of it is mm -hmm. that she is so tied to the tradition and so loyal and if you even rewind it back to the first movie um when injadaka takes over like her being loyal to the throne mm -hmm. um, all the way through. And then when T'Challa comes back at the end, she says the challenge is not over, right? Because like what the, the where she's taking her cues consistently in her story is the tradition, uh, the stories of her people. That's what she's anchored to. I think if, if she were a different number, she would respond differently to the challenges in front of her. Yeah. And like what happens, like kind of fast forwarding in this movie, um, she has an interaction that absolutely wilts her. And the nature of that interaction, I think different numbers would have responded differently than she did in that moment because she is a warrior by training. She is a warrior by training and tradition. I don't believe that she is a warrior at heart. Hmm. She's a she's a loyalist at heart. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that, TJ? Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. I I think that like describing her as an eight from the first movie makes a lot of sense, but then seeing this, seeing the way that her story sort of progresses, there's so much sixness, and and with this conversation in particular, her foundation is shook. She is not. She's not standing on stable ground anymore. And I can't, like, I have a really hard time seeing an eight respond in this way to this kind of information. I think that's the, that's, that's it as well. Yeah. A, a, an eight would be much faster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is thinking repression is what it is. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. to build yeah. on Chun's. Yeah. The, the image of her as, so uh, all of a sudden I'm having all of our Darth Vader conversation come up in my head because mm -hmm. on the, if you were to imagine Darth Vader positively, that's ag exactly who this character is. Yeah. She's always a second. She's dependable. She's loyal. Um, she is in service of the tradition and, uh, and, and she, at like a six, she would, she's attaching to the security provider. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, re I, I like, I, I, you convinced me. That took me, that I'm still trying to get my mind around. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good one. The loyal, I, I do recall in our first conversation, the, the point about loyalty being a huge part of this character. And we had interpreted loyalty in the eight ish way mm -hmm. because the eights can yeah. be very loyal. Right. But you can obviously also interpret that in the six ish way. Uh, for, so, Moving on, for the sake of her health, Okoye says to uh, Ramonda that she'd like to take Shuri to find the scientist. Ramonda is op opposed. Shuri jumps in and just assumes that she's going on an adventure. And that's, that's, that's some great seven energy moving the story along. Shuri and Okoye go to track down Agent Ross, and he gives them info of the creator who's an MIT student. And we're interested... <clears throat> and we're introduced to Riri, 
who will become Ironheart. We learned the vibranium detector was stolen by the CIA. CIA, by the way, is overseen by Ross's ex-wife, which we'll see in a minute. And Riri comes with the Wakandans. But before they leave, before they get out of Chicago, the FBI tracks them down in Riri's garage. A lot of plot going on here. There is some scenes, but there was nothing that really popped for me where I was like, we really need to talk about this. This is but, the extended treatment of watch other Marvel stuff in the future. Yeah, that's <laughs> like <laughs> Riri Williams, Ross's ex-wife. Like, it's like, OK, like French. It's not exposition. It's franchise building. Yep. Yep. Even Ross himself, like his his place in this movie is is expositional tokenism. <laughs> they had, I mean, just to note it here, they had done some stuff that was, you know, questioning authority with um, Hydra and its infiltration into the government. In this, they're showing the Secretary of State is clearly wicked, the director of the CIA clearly wicked, and I've heard the president who they're going to introduce does not is, is well, it was, or was it in the movie that he wants to attack Wakanda? Wasn't that hinted at at some point? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's because they think that Wakanda is, uh, are the ones that are attacking them when it's actually the Tolakan. Tolakan. Yeah. Tolakan. I suppose just put a pin in that. That's like, they're, they're kind of, they're going to dive into the, into those sorts of dynamics. Big thing for me about Riri Williams is Shuri can't be the comic relief anymore. And so they've elevated a new character into that spot who takes that role and takes the role of the um, MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to go back to your theme about immature and mature leadership, right? As Shuri develops, there has to be a, they're setting up a mentory-ish type relationship. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, so that there is legacy by coming coming behind her. Um, so I think that's a little bit of what's going on there too. That's a great call, and and a sort of almost replacement for the like a a, a black female version of the Tony Stark um, Spider Man Peter Parker relationship. Mm-hmm. But did you like? I mean. I, I just did this not. Is what part- I wanted to bring up. I just didn't particularly <laughs> like her character. <laughs> yeah, me either. No, not that she did anything bad. It was just like, oh, uh, okay. Like, why are why are you here? You didn't do anything particularly special. Nothing that we haven't seen. Like through the whole movie. Like, um, I I I could have I could have missed the whole thing, per- personally. And 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 regardless of what actually takes place like her her character is so significantly overshadowed by some of the plot and script problems that are sort of like on top of her character like the fact that that she is in the movie at all is overshadowed by how dumb it is that like Instead of trying to find the people who are actually looking for vibranium, they decide to kill the the person who didn't intend for it to be used for this purpose. I I would love to bring something up on that front. The one thing that I think is kind of valuable, and it's something that Njadaka points out later, is that he says that Ramonda... She sacrificed her life to protect a young girl from the Lost Tribe. 
think that's what this is more about. Mm-hmm. You know, how's Wakanda going to treat black folks outside of Wakanda? And right. it, that's that's the point of tension that I think they're trying to elevate. Which uh, that that's that strikes me as valuable in the in the midst of the story. I think if she had better jokes, <laughs> it would it would have gone a long way. You know, there is something. Can yeah. I name? Can I talk about the thing behind the thing also? In so I have a Star Wars podcast. There, there was a, a woman of color who got just assaulted for a year from 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 ignorant Star Wars fans, and because they just didn't like this character. And I'm I feel like just it's a tightrope to say I'm not sure I got into this character when talking about this movie, execution wise. Um, my fa- as a Star Wars fan, my favorite character in all of Star Wars is a woman of color. And like, I feel like I have to justify it. Wait, wait, wait. But, but I like, you know, women of color in, in these properties. It's just this, this, this particular character didn't, didn't work or wasn't executed well. You know what I'm saying there? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The problem was not that she was Asian. The problem was that Rose was a bad character. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, when you're, uh, when you're, Entrance onto the scene is like to shock um, Finn, who is a beloved character. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I, I think there was a whole lot going on there, um, which probably deserves to be talked about. I, I, you know, there are, there are, there are tensions in minority communities, particularly between African Americans and Asians mm-hmm. that are 40, 50 years old. I think that's a little bit of what's going on there. I mean, there, um, I, there are other things that I think most of your listeners would find really offensive to say out loud, but that are also p- kind of playing in the background. But I think right. at the at the top of it, it was like she's just Rose was just not a, a super likable character. I think they really wanted Riri Williams to be likable, mm-hmm. but yeah. our first introduction to her is kind of likable in that she's kind of approaching sort of the bro on campus who owes her money for her work uh, and he never paid it. So she's like standing up for herself. And then she has this interaction with Shuri and Okoye in the dorm. But then she just never really um, goes anywhere. And I think because all three of us are watching and review a lot of movies, like we know what someone means when they say they just didn't give her very much to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, you're there, but you're almost like wallpaper. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not that I didn't like her. It's that I don't care about her presence right. in this film. There's right. nothing about her that makes me go, oh, good. I'm excited to see this. Yeah. And you're like, and we've already done Iron Man. So the suit right. that does a bunch of cool stuff, like, great. And then the story itself, if someone invents X... And you don't want X to exist in the world. You don't go kill the person who invented X because someone else will just invent X. Right. right? Again, like, right. like the, the knowledge is now out there. Like that's not. And so the inciting incident in this film doesn't work. Right. <laughs> which yeah. is why people are so lukewarm about it. Like it just doesn't work as a believable premise uh, to set off all of this because you know, uh, you know, as Aaron Sorkin and other writers talk about, like if the problem you have is easy to solve, like you don't, you're doing journalism. 
you're not telling mm. a story. Mm. Yeah. That's and a the, good line. Um, and yeah, I mean, Aaron Sorkin's written many of those. <laughs> <laughs> does, uh, does he know how to write? <laughs> and so you're just kind of, kind of gliding through this film. Um, and the problem with that is like when you, when you're talking about personality, when does that show up the most when it's properly motivated to accomplish something or to protect something, um, when it has an aim, an end to it. Um, and there just wasn't a convincing one for the inciting incident in, in this movie, which is, I think all of that gets heaped on to her because you're already asking why, why, why would you do that? Why would you go about yeah. it this way? Why would you like that? Doesn't make sense. Um, why do you, you care so much about that car? Let's wait till the very end of the movie to tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you had Injadaka in this team going to save Riri, and he goes and he shoots somebody in the head a couple times and saying we're here for the lost, right? Yeah, of the tribe. That would ha- that's what they needed. They needed something like to say that we are defending people um who are who are part of our family and it doesn't have that or in that council meeting yeah like if mbaku says did we learn nothing from injadaka yeah like there you go there is this lost tribe these people are going after one of us like we owe it to so it's not as self-protective and then you like when you meet this character you want to protect her and you want her to be protected so Lots of different th- ways you could go about that. And I think that, I mean, that's why I'm, as for someone who's seen the movie five times, very lukewarm on the story mm-hmm. because I'm kind of like TJ where it's like, do I really, I mean, I want Wakanda to survive, but I don't need to see a bigger, bulkier, less powerful Iron Man suit on a 19 yeah. year old. That's it. Yeah. And it's also, she has a Michael Jordan, pro- or the, what is that? Who's the guy that follows Michael Jordan uh, for the Bulls? Uh, number one for the Bulls. Uh, see, the case in point, you know. <laughs> uh, the, you don't want to be the guy that follows John Elway as quarterback of the Broncos. You don't want to be the guy who's following Michael Jordan as guard of the, the Bulls. Mm-hmm. You're, you're like set up to be, those are massive, massive shoes to fill. <laughs> you right. Know? You don't want to be, like Truman has a hard time getting things moving. <laughs> um, and that's, she is coming in to fill a spot after arguably the most popular actor in the world. Right. And like, that's a, that man, that's a tough spot to, to, that's hard anyway. And just a, one last quick comment about the lost tribe conversation. Mm -hmm. We don't even know that she's black when we're making the decisions to, to care about her. Right. Or when they're trying to save her because they have it, they don't know who she is yet. Right. But right. in storytelling, oh, they could have moved that around a little bit. They could have figured. They could yeah. have figured that because you know the internet yeah. exists. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a good battle scene with a fantastic song. I've been listening to this all morning. Just a plus. Um, they escape from uh, her warehouse after seeing all of her her gear and how smart she is. Uh, Riri's going to capture a military drone and send it into a, an assembly of cop cars. I'm not sure of how many cops died. They looked like they were fleeing, but there was some subtext there in terms of drones being used to kill or at least to assault police officers. Just uh, another quick 
you know, quick comment about how they did not execute Riri very well. She's doing the math to figure out how to crash the drone so that it lands on the cop cars while she's flying. Mm-hmm. And also while uh, Shuri is telling her that she doesn't have enough oxygen. So, like, this thing that's happening should be amazing, and they do not show us what's actually going on in a way that's like, oh, she's she's trying to figure out how to crash that drone into the cop cars on that bridge. That is massively impressive, and we don't actually understand because that's not what they did with the actual storytelling. Right. Showing intelligence can be... It is when you can do it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. Well, it looks like we've won. They have a, a nice little Trinity moment there of uh, Akoye in the car and Sherry's on the bike and Riri's flying overhead. Majestic scene. Riri gets snatched out of the air with a fish hook of some sort. And then we have a confrontation with the Talakanali. They're going to come, they're going to kill the remaining cops. And the battle uh, with Okoye begins on the bridge. Shuri is knocked out. What happens to Riri here? I've already forgotten where she's at. She's, she crashed and she's knocked out on the ground. Okay. They're both. Okoye is the only one that is aware. Yep. And she's Okoye is single-handedly fighting them. That's a great, great fight scene. This is a great fight scene. It's a back-to-back. You're not really... Uh, they have the chase or the escape scene. I don't think that... I wasn't prepared for another fight scene, and mm. it's fantastic. There's something, again, kind of Star Wars-ish about this, where we both use a- ancient weapons, as opposed to, like, there's no gunfire here. There's spears, and what, what do you call those? I mean, it's kind of like a spear with a blade at it's the an end. axe, basically. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. spearish axe. God, that's a, it, it's... Or a halberd. Again, things are going to get moved along here. CIA show up. You see DeFontaine, played by Louis Dreyfus, shows up, who apparently wants to come over and jump on Ross's Peloton. <laughs> hey oh <laughs> I mean, say what you will, she knows how to deliver a joke. <laughs> you made one of the one of the greatest comedic actresses I mean, of all time. She's a knows, knows knows how to land a joke. <laughs> all right, so we cut back to the Okoye in the throne room. She's telling the story. And now we have a scene. And this is a great scene. I find that there's so much to talk about here, too. Okoye is describing all that happened and why the two women got kidnapped. They were blue. And they had superhuman strength. And they came from the water on the backs of whales. I struck down three of them with blows that should have killed them, but they rose again. I wish to leave immediately to retrieve our princess. Ramonda has been listening and is furious. Okoye, you will be stripped of your rank as general of Wakanda's armies and your status as Dora Milaje. Nigateta, umkanikas. Permission to speak, my queen? You may. Yatrela. I have given everything. Let me die saving my country and that throne. Allow me to make this right. Make it right. I do not know if my daughter is alive or dead. Perhaps we are being too hasty. Mm. 
She raised a spear against her own husband for Wakanda. Where is her treacherous husband now? But in a place where she can visit if she wished. Mine! It's with the ancestors. I am queen of the most powerful nation in the world, and my entire family is gone. Have I not given everything? On your feet, General. I stood by you after Killmonger took the throne and you and the elders in this room stood by him while I ran begging to the Jabari for protection. And I warned you about taking my daughter on this mission and you lost her. So today, I am done. Koye thrusts her spear into the floor and leaves. Thoughts? I mean, I kind of just want to like stop recording and go watch that scene again because it's so good. <laughs> I didn't perform it's it, so you know, good. at the level. <laughs> I know the listeners got to hear Angela Bassett do it, but I didn't. I heard Jeff. So, <laughs> so there, there are a couple of times when I'm watching something and... Uh, the the first one was when I saw the trailer for Les Mis and Anne Hathaway mm-hmm. in in the trailer, and I leaned over to my wife in the theater and I told her she's going to get nominated for an Oscar for this role. Mm-hmm. Hadn't seen the movie, just seeing the trailer. I said that's an Oscar nomination. Yep. And I saw this in the theater, and I was by myself, so I didn't lean over to tell anybody. <laughs> and I thought that's an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. I was like, she's going to get an Oscar nomination for that scene yep. alone yep mm-hmm. and she did like it's just like it is tear inducing like yeah. that is i don't i'm not one of those people i know people who feel everything in movies i'm not one of those people but it's almost impossible not to feel that when she delivers it it's it's powerful and that is um you know we talk about we had talked about her last time as a four um and people don't talk very much about the anger of fours. Mm-hmm. And like when fours are angry, like I felt like that was very true. Yeah. Um, fours get angry with tears, at least the ones that I know. Yeah. Um, and like it was just, she did not have a good case to make about why Okoye should be stripped of her rank. Yes. But she made a great case. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and and in that is the contrasting, like like the the comparison of uh, of you versus me, of uh what someone else has experienced versus what I have experienced and why my experience has is so much worse and sets me apart and and also I am making decisions on an emotional basis. And isn't my decision, isn't my emotional response worth the decision that I'm making? Hmm. Not necessarily that it lines up, but doesn't it, like, this is how I feel about something. Do you not understand why I'm making this decision yes. based on my feelings? That, that, 
that four, like, I feel so strongly about this. How could anyone else in the world feel differently? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's the only way yeah. to feel about this. Yeah. There is, I want you to see me and my pain all over this. This is not, in my unpopular opinion, this is not a good decision. The, she is yelling at everybody about how uh, this conversation can be had in numerous places, not in front of everybody. She's having an emotional breakdown here and stripping the principal military leader in her culture in front of everyone. Yeah. And saying the elders in this room are also responsible for my pain. Mm-hmm. Everyone sympathizes. <laughs> I also think that like even in the midst of this this incredible speech, I, I think that I still think that she is one of the most mature characters that we see on screen in all of the MCU and and I think as as a leader, as someone who is uh aware of the the weight of the decisions that she has to make, um I I'm not sure that this is the right decision, but I think that drawing on some of the tools that she has at one uh, as a leader like she there must be consequences for Okoye screwing up the thing that Ramonda said she was going to screw up (laughs) is Shuri not responsible for Shuri Shuri is responsible for Shuri but Ramonda told Okoye no before Shuri was on board or before we knew Shuri was on board. Okoye talked Ramonda into this against Ramonda's better judgment, and this is exactly why she didn't want Shuri to go. And so, like, like there, there's a sense of we have to put things back in order now. And, and you failed something that I told you you were going to fail, and you, there has to be consequences. Sometimes your spouse and you are debating whether or not your kid should have a bike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when they break their arm, say, and come home with the broken arm, and your spouse turns to you and says, I told you they were going to break their arm. By the way, this has never happened. I'm, I'm making up a story. That's the moment you say, you're right, honey. You did. I should have listened. <laughs> There's only one response, right? (laughs) You're right. Your daughter should have remained in emotional turmoil in in this room with no windows. That's going to make her healthy. I got this wrong. Here's my spear. This is a terrible decision from Ramonda. It's just, it's all about her. That's, that's the, that's my, my take on this. This scene, it's all about her. Well, you know, you, you can only withdraw for so long before you run into the wall at the back of the room. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. And so then it's like, it's like all of, like you just said, like it's all of it. It's going back to Njadaka. It's what the council did. It's having to go like all of the ways that she felt like she has endured injustice that weren't acknowledged yep. by the people around her. And like, that's so much part of it for four. Yep. Like, Including the death of her husband. Right. Yeah. She can go see her husband anytime she wants. I don't get that privilege. Which is not germane at all to this story. Nope. Like he nope. didn't like the way he died had nothing to do with <laughs> nope. that, what's happening. Nothing but she's br- but she's bringing it up. Yeah. Like she's um 
that idealist harmony group like that is like this like this is not the way that I pictured it and mm. you didn't care and you yep. like I'm going to make you care about all of it because mm -hmm. I cared so deeply about all of it past focused and deeply emotional mm -hmm. yeah. this this strikes me as the low side of four is, is she chaining there I don't know that I necessarily call it chaining with fours because I think it's all part of the same experience. Okay. okay. Like it, it's all of my suffering is part of, of what has brought me here today. And so, so you say that she raised a spear against her husband. Well, let me tell you about my husband, like not necessarily chaining, but like, let's, let's fold in all of the things with, if we're going to do a direct comparison here, I'm going to bring in all of the things that have made my experience what it is. So what you're seeing is it's just like one big hole where chaining would be taking a series of events and looking for the, the, the line or the, that, right. that runs through them. Like for her, this right. is just the whole pie. Yeah. Yep. And the, the whole pie always matters. Yep. Yes. But great scene. It is a great scene. They do something with her character where when she has the headdress on, she's in an official capacity. When she takes it off, her gray hair is there, and she takes on a different posture. Uh, they do this a lot in Breaking Bad with some of the characters in terms of when they're officially like their, their caricature, but then you see their, their internal life. Um, and I, I liked that move because mm -hmm. she, she obviously she dies without the headdress. She dies with, with her, her natural gray hair. And we see her without the headdress calling Ross. They seek to find Sherry and Riri, who we see in the underwater kingdom of Namor. And we cut to Haiti. And Ramonda has found Nakia, who is running a school there. We found out she did not return for the funeral of T'Challa. Ramonda recruits her into service to find Sherry. And eventually we see Nakia finding a way into Talakon. Uh, Nakia kind of sneaks in here at you know, she's an important character, brought back, takes a, a, a different kind of role in this this movie. Um, this has been kind of a, a, a character that has bounced all over the place for us typing-wise. Uh, Sean, when you wrote to us, you said that she's an idealist for sure. Um, you, want, you want to type uh, Nakia and how that complements the movie? Um, yeah, I, I kind of go back and forth in her because I'm trying to put together... Um, both movies and I, when I look at her and what mm -hmm. when we meet her in the first movie she's undercover rescuing these girls who are going into slavery now she's got this school down in Haiti but she doesn't like she seems to want to withdraw or at least be di distant from Wakanda and T'Challa in the in the first movie but she is out perfecting the world mm -hmm. and that's what kind of leads me into into her type but when she's called upon, you know, I see so much the the ones I know, which is where I would place her, are so so much of their energy is moving toward others. And yet she feels like she's withdrawing in many ways from that community. So that's why I have trouble typing her. But most of her energy in both movies is perfecting the world, like to make the world a better place and engagement with the world around her that Wakanda's not necessarily interested in. 
you know, like she's saving girls from slavery. She's teaching, she's leading the school in, in Haiti. She is doing the softer version of what Njadaka wanted, which is for Wakanda and Wakandans to be engaged in rescuing people who look like them. Mm. And that mostly to me is that reformer one side um, of, of the Enneagram. So it seems very much to me like a one with a really strong two wing that she is very much engaged in the world. So that's, that's, that's where I would slot her and, and why. I also really struggle with uh, typing her, especially with this film, because so much of the emotion that she brings to the screen is you have to also like place the thing underneath that where the she didn't go to the funeral for two reasons. One, because it was too much for her emotionally and Two, because she had to continue hiding his son from them, like <laughs> like that. That is such a, a, a an important part of what she's doing in Haiti that it's hard to like for me. It it's like I need to see more of her still before I can like really get into motivation. I really like this idea of her wanting to to fix things in the world and sort of like leaving home because they. They can't embrace the way that she thinks it needs to be done. Hmm. Um, but they're still like the, the she and T'Challa intentionally chose for her to raise their son away from Wakanda. And so like like if that wasn't a part of this, would if she didn't have a son, would she be back in Wakanda? Or like very similar to where she was in the first movie, I don't know. I also I I kind of go with uh, TJ on that the <clears throat> the retreating in stress. I think I had her as a three in the back of my mind before, and so I'd actually float this to you, Sean. Is there any reason not to think of her as a three? She's very productive. She retreats in stress. Um, she has some visions and goals that she's discussed with her deceased. Um, lover and some of that kind of weave together I suppose in my mind and she takes one of the things that I think is interesting about her is she becomes either the older sister or even the replacement for Ramonda in uh, in the heart of Shuri I mean I feel like she yeah. takes that motherly role where Mbaku takes kind of the fatherly role for the central character yeah, I, th I think that's a good question and I know from the interwebs that other people have typed her as a three so, you know, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to stake it in the ground. Yeah, who wants to argue with the internet? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the internet always wins. Um, I don't. There's nothing in me that thinks that she wouldn't want to, especially because she has a lot of. Um, she seems to have a lot of family rescuer energy around her. Mm -hmm. um, that she's going to do something noble, um, and then and, and threes are very much uh the kind of folks who work hard i mean the idea that threes are just workaholics for the sake of being workaholics is one of the biggest fallacies of the mm. enneagram like it's always directed it's always right. for the benefit of some person or group that they love yeah. um uh so that you know i wouldn't i wouldn't want to press on either one too deeply because she has a lot of that 
she's definitely in that competency harmonic group in terms of way they solve problems. Yeah. Um, there you go. So we can at least get it to one, three, five. Well, and thinking about the, the threeness, like I, I, I leaned pretty heavily on three watching, thinking about this and, and some of the stuff in the first film because of the way that she's sort of able to adapt to her surroundings, which is, to me, seems a lot less one-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like like she would be very much more herself wherever she goes. Uh, if she if she was like th- that one-ishness, I, I have a a harder time seeing her change per scenario, you know? Um, but it's still like the, the desire to make everything better. Uh, the, there's so much of that sort of reformer nature and, and the idealism is a big part of how she, she views Wakanda. So. Is it, is the, there's a line in black Panther where she's, he's, she's talking about, you know, doing things for the sake of the world. We can do it better. Mm-hmm. Is it about the improvement or is it about us? The we're amazing. <laughs> That's a great way to go about it. If I were if I were to type her as a three, this would be my reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's able to do what she thinks is the right thing to do without having a feeling about it. Mm. Or at least ignoring her feelings. Yeah. So she loves T'Challa, but the world needs fixing in the first one they're going to raise their son away from her people she's going to go she actually goes and rescues um riri and shuri in this movie and she comes in like blazing and she has no compunction about killing talakani's right right and she is a person who has lived her life from mission to mission right so if I were going to say, if I were going to argue for her being a three, which I don't think she is, I really do think she's a reformer one, and that, that's fine. Those are the reasons, because uh, she can set all of that aside for the sake of doing the thing that, um, that has to be done, at least in, 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 her, in her world and way of seeing the world has to be done. Mm-hmm. Bing. So maybe we'll get somewhere in the... Black Panther 3, if it ever happens. And we can play that out. <laughs> well, now we get to talk about No More. We're going to cut to the underwater kingdom. So, uh, Tanakwerta. Actually, troubling news recently. Had a, a, apparently, so we were four days removed from a uh, sexual assault allegation coming towards this this actor. So we don't know where things are at. TJ and I, prior to recording we're discussing what is the wisdom of of coming to situations like this in terms of commentary. My my gut is to acknowledge that there's something, and that that's about the that's the best you can do, and to let things play out. But Sean, you seem like a very wise person on these fronts, and I have and I would love your insights for the rest of nerddom. <laughs> I don't know that I have because it's so very sticky. Right. And I think we've talked about this before in, in terms of the artist and the art. Mm-hmm. And how do you separate all of that out? Because the the better you know me, for instance, uh, you will know that I think at least like I think I believe some very beautiful things and have done some helpful work 
for myself and other people in the world. I also know myself well enough to know like I'm capable and have done some really terrible and hurtful things. Mm-hmm. Um, and like all of those are me and I wouldn't. Tr- and from folks that you read, I think we talked about Gandhi. Maybe I don't know. It was an offline conversation. I can't remember. Or some mm-hmm. podcast. Um, like where do you draw the line? You know, I recently saw the flash, like I saw the flash when it came out mm-hmm. and, um, I forgot the name of uh, Ezra Miller. Ezra, Ezra Miller. Miller, and they've been in some really hot water over the last couple of years. And I had no idea about any of it until after I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think would I have seen the movie if I'd known that they had gotten in that kind of hot water before? And I, I don't know the answers to that. Um, and you know, from I grew up a huge and still am a huge Michael Jackson fan, mm-hmm. like. Uh, my wife and I over spring break went to New York and saw to see Michael Jackson, the musical, Um, which I've heard is amazing. It is incredible. And we saw it the last weekend that miles was playing the the lead role, the Mm. guy who originated the role. Um, I I think when you're on a podcast like this, it's fine to restrict that conversation to the character. Um, But I also know that Jonathan majors, was recently mm-hmm. implicated in an, uh, an abuse thing from his ex-girlfriend. And now there's YouTube video on top of YouTube video with all of this evidence of why he is innocent. And I don't know that that's been adjudicated. Uh-huh. I think those are the kind of things people are going to have to make their own decisions about because we can't know everything about everybody. And um, there are some people who are beloved, I think, who if we knew more, they wouldn't be. And there are some people who are demonized who, if we knew more, they wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Last word on that teach. Well, I think that the, the individual's response has so much is, is so much at play in a lot of these conversations. And, um, the, like thinking about, um, Uh, Thinking about, like, Kevin Spacey, who uh, was accused of some pretty intense things, uh, his response to almost everything that has happened since all of that came out has been very poor. And, and like, does that erase the good work that he did before that? No, I don't think so. But it changes how I I see him moving forward. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we'll ever see uh, Namor again. In the MCU, they they've certainly hinted at that he'll have a part in the future. But if thinking about his like the the response of the person in the the hot seat, as it were, this is a huge part of how I approach a lot of this stuff. The thing that hit me early on in our conversation, and I wanted to bring it up at the time, and I'm so glad that I waited. Is my favorite bit of philosophy comes out of Pascal. And he talks about the greatness and the wretchedness of humanity. That he's he's very much on the on the edges. Like human beings are terrible, awful, no good, very bad things, and yet we are the most impressive thing in the entire cosmos. Mm-hmm. I could tell you a quick story about how the universe was created, and 13 billion years ago, and this is what the Big Bang is, and here are the countless billions of uh, galaxies with countless billions of stars, and around one of those stars, there's a small bit of rock, and this is how 
life came to be and that life evolved into you. And I could tell you that story and you, you, you are the only thing in the universe that we know of that can understand that story hmm. in a, a, across all of these you know, like countless trillions of, you know, light years, uh, humanity is amazing. And yet you have had that night where you drank too much and were in front of a toilet for way too long. And, and, and you're it, like, you know, what it's like to be awful and you know, what it's like to be majestic. And you know, my, uh, I mean, we, it seems like that's part of this story. And I think this is the thing that American culture has the hardest time grappling with right now is you can say we have amazing things in our heritage and you can also counterbalance those mm -hmm. with we've done toxic things. Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson is amazing. Thomas Jefferson raped slaves, enslaved yeah. women. Like, and you have to hold those in tension. And here's the thing. That's the story of humanity. And if you can't get there, you can't understand what humanity is. Yeah. Anyway, this is a microcosm, I think, not only into this movie, because a lot of the characters we're going to experience are of that sort. And I, I, I just bagged on Ramonda for a second there. That's, that's her, her at her worst. Mm -hmm. Like she's, she's having an emotional breakdown. But, but she's a human being who matters and whose emotions matter. And, and she's not doing great damage there. But you see where I'm going. And how, how do you – I think one of the problems with our politics in general is the inability to say awful things took place in our history. Right. And they need to be exposed and repented of. That's, that's why the Christian tradition that I love so much is so great. It gives you a, gives you a way of throwing all that stuff up, getting some healing. And that really speaks to like what TJ was talking about in terms of the reaction to people. Like it's one thing to like, I have done terrible things. Let me repent. Mm -hmm. Right. And not to get into like too much of a, you know, a, <laughs> to, to go down the rabbit hole, the spiritual rabbit hole too much, but like, it's not necessarily why repentance is so important. It's why confession and uh, consolation absolution is so important Yeah, that if yeah. you can say, and it's hard in our, it, you know, um, people have all kinds of opinions about cancel culture and whatever. I don't want to litigate that. But like, if you could actually say in our culture, yeah, I did this thing and you would be assured of absolution. We would have mm. a lot. We'd have a lot more people saying, yeah, I did this thing and I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever cannot be confessed, um, it will be concealed. And that's yeah. what we, that's just the, the world we live in. Yeah. So I don't, and I don't even know what he did. So this is news to me. I'll have to do some, some deep research, he which is sitting on the toilet. Googling is what people call research. <laughs> the, the 21st century. I did my own research. You sat on the toilet with your phone. <laughs> and what are you, what else are you going to do while you're in there? <laughs> to, to just put a bow in this. The only thing I heard is they dropped out of a movie that was upcoming because of, of this. And so it was more, I'm going to wait. This needs to get addressed. And so we'll see. Um, the thing that struck me that I haven't heard anyone talk about is just how much water is a part of this character and how much water plays into the first movie. Um, and Jadaka wants to be buried in the ocean. The color blue routinely comes up as the colonizing color in Black Panther. And here you have another character who represents the ocean and draped in blue. And 
I, I want to say that there is a redemptive kind of push into this. This is not a colonizing character, clearly. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. But there is, again, the kind of the, the tension here. Well, you know, water is life. And like what they're, I mean, the story that the Talakan are, are telling themselves and telling the Wakandas, the Wakandans is like, we, um, we are the essential we are the essential people mm -hmm. um, and we have been abused. Um, and it also provides cover. You know, this, uh, we, we went down into the deeps because, um, cause that's the place that we could feel safe. That I, the idea, right. Is, um, what do you do as, a as a marginalized minority people, against the power of colonization. Yeah. Um, and both the answer for the, for Wakanda and Talokan has been to escape them and to remain hidden from them. Because going back to Ramonda's speech at the beginning, we knew what you would do. Like if you had, yep. mm -hmm. if you had this power, we know what you would do. Yeah. Is that not the answer? The opening line to black Panther is why do we hide Baba? And isn't that, isn't that the answer? Is because the the we know the wretchedness again to bring up that theme of those people mm -hmm. of these people yeah. who are not not our people, and that gets displayed here. I, I the similarities between this scene and and what I uh, what my experience one of my my favorite Spielberg movie is actually Amistad, but the the Amistad scene which is much more graphic. It felt it felt like there was a lot of visual ticks that were very similar in in the telling of Namor's telling of his origin story and his experience when going to bury his mother of of those who have enslaved people who look like him look like his mother and him destroying their plantation but um i don't know if it's worth putting in that that whole origin story in the movie you mean yeah in in the podcast here the Namor tells his story beginning in the, what, in 1571 of his, his mother, and they've discovered, you know, the Blue Rock, and there's this origin story of how he becomes a mutant, which, by the way, I think this is the first time mutant is used in the MCU. Do you all know this as, in terms of a word? I'm not sure that it's the first time, but it's, it's a significant moment, for sure, um, for the word mutant. We're going there. When his mother dies, as she grew older, my mother mourned the life on land that she once knew and died with a broken heart. She made me promise to bury her in the soil of her homeland. Nothing could prepare me for what I found there. See, and then we see these scenes of enslaved people on a plantation. And Namor, who's a, a young person, he looks like he's nine or ten, decides to wipe everything out. Spanish man of bay curse me. As he died by my hand, he called me. Un niño sin amor. El niño sin amor. <laughs> the child without love. And I took my name from there. Namor. Because I have no love for the surface world. I do realize that the idea that it's just Roman spelled backwards early on. <laughs> I thought this was a brilliant turn if, uh, in terms of using something that's there as, in a different kind of way. But 
Um, you got thoughts on, on Namor and his origin story? You know, I think last time we talked about this idea that it's a story about women. Um, baseline, the bottom note of his origin story is the mistreatment of his mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good call. From when she was younger and pregnant with him and seeing how that just escalated to the point of her death and where he is working out and how he feels about his people and protecting his people is about that story with his mother. Like he is the only male of significance in the film film, mm-hmm. but his motivations, you know, we, we talk about, cause I think we talked about him as an eight, or at least that's how I typed him of that early instance of betrayal for eights mm. and the, the commitment they make in their heart that I will never be betrayed again. And mm-hmm. what he's working out is not his own betrayal, but the betrayal his mother experienced. Um, so e- even if you like um, further on in the movie, Namora is kind of his number two, right? And she's, she's a female. I wonder at the end of the movie, when he and Shuri come together, both for their fu- like, if that shape, if that's a, if that takes on a different shape, if she's a male, and how does he feel like he can damage and hurt Shuri the most, killing her mother, like, yeah, like he he, you know, that origin story starts in 1571, but it's still playing out mother, 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 all the way through. What we're in Wakanda, it's about fathers. Fa- Wakanda's about True. father's stories. Yeah. Right? Talakan's about a mother's story. I like that. Is is two different sides of that coin. You got thoughts on on Namor and typing? I think that it, like like also it, it's not just that that story is still playing out, but he is very clearly like this is something that he is intentionally holding on to 400 years later 500 years later whatever and he like that i i kind of struggled with him a little bit because the like the retreat of like the desire to hide um seems seems very much withdrawal ish um the the insistence on protecting his people. There's a lot of two energy there. Um, the the way that he has allowed and and chosen for this thing to be defining for him and to carry it with him at all times is is so interesting and like like there's there's a root in the past, but there's also like this like I could easily see him being five or eight because. The way that he is holding on to this and, and desiring to protect his resources is is very much sort of five-ish, but also the way that he has very intentionally let this be defining and said, I will make sure that this never happens to me and never happens to my people ever again, and I know how to use it to damage others. Uh, that like there there is a lot of like sort of calculated vengeance in that. 
My quick quick word on I, I I would argue that Namor's a five. I do think it's worth saying this is a very old character. And TJ, when we've done and I when we've done typing, a lot of times the older characters are very difficult to to type. Mm-hmm. So when we did Gandalf, for example, the five eight discussion comes up and and it can be tricky. The thing that struck me was what DJ mentioned. It's the past tools seem to be strongly there. Um, he seems, to, for me, sol- he's a problem solver with his head. Although I do recognize the that idea that that his emotions spurt at times. I think that would be worth you know diving into first or further. I feel like he's a very asset aware person it's not just protecting the uh, vibranium but he uses shuri as an asset as well i have acquired this thing and now i have leveraged through the asset which feels that that's about power but that's also about possessions um and i I suppose it is that withdrawn making it wakanda's problem to like we're gonna remain hidden so nobody sees us you're going to solve this problem because you made it a problem struck me as you know something that a withdrawn type would would do and uh at the end he's desiring alliances which strikes me again as much more of a a five-ish way of being in the in the in the world not that eights don't care about alliances but it feels like that's a way fives would establish security but it's also the way that eights behave once they've lost a fight yeah go there and so, you know, it's a, uh, you know, when it, when people talk about, you know, you've won a fight with an eight when they just quit talking, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> when they just won't engage it anymore. Yeah. He's not engaged. He's no longer engaging a fight with Wakanda because he's lost it. Right. And yeah. then at their mercy and the, the eights that I'm around, uh, the way they use assets are as leverage, like, um, and so it's one of those numbers. It can kind of go a couple of different ways, but we're all in we're in the same harmony triad, like all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. <laughs> we're we're saying. So we're we we all sort of see that the same way. What gets me about him is a couple of things. His first response is always a body response. Mm. Um and so that speaks to body triad to me. Like it is felt in the body. He responds with his body. Um like when he goes to bury his mother and he sees the colonizers enslaving people, he doesn't say, let's go and think of a way. Let's get together and come up with a plan of attack. Right. Like it's attack now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Very vengeful uh, as we'll well. We'll plan about it later. Yeah. Right. As soon as the machine detects vibranium, we'll attack now. Mm. Um, when he realizes that, uh, Shuri has been rescued and let's attack now. And all of that comes, all of the strategery comes later. Right. And that's, that what kind of, he's acting out of emotion. So emotional response and he's acting out of the body and not just out of the body, but knowing that his body is capable of more than what other bodies are capable for. So you, I will dominate. Hmm. I want to push into that real quick. The we've when we've talked about villains in the past, we we often talk about how they go to the low side of their security number. So they're the five and the eight are on the line, and and finding where the motive is 
in terms of stress security and being centered would be real valuable here. It seems to me like he may be an incredibly secure person who is just living in some eight space and the villain, the villainous side might come out in terms of when he has very violent uh, ways of engaging the world, even physical wor- ways of engaging the world that may be coming out of a space where he is incredibly powerful and coming out of that space. I, for, for what you just said and also for other reasons, I, I, I feel like I lean more towards five. Um, also because he, like he, he acts, but he doesn't like, we don't see anger rise in the way that I expect it to come from eights. Like he, his emotional, responses to things is it's very controlled like he 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 doesn't blow up the way that i would expect an eight to blow up in a in a lot of the situations where his anger should be coming out and not that not that like not that he shouldn't have anger but but it seems so contained and 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 not that he doesn't have anger in those moments, but but he's not using it the way I would expect an eight to use his anger to to just burst forth and do the some of the work for him, you know. And and just in in general, he he seems so much like he is trying to maintain a very calm front as opposed to Mbaku, who leads from a position of strength like he he will say and do the things to put his energy out there on purpose as opposed to trying to to maintain a sense of calm that that i think it's it seems much more seems to be more five-ish in that way because he is coming out and and trying to explain and and express in a more detached way I'd love to play out the the idea of these types in this next scene with Shuri. We see Nakia. She has her superhero outfit on now, and she's found Talakan. But it cuts to Shuri and Namor having this rather depthy geopolitical conversation. Uh, Namor, by the way, to introduce this very eight line, I know you wish me to spare the life of the scientist, but now you see what I have to protect. And that's an identity statement of he sees mm-hmm. himself as a protector, which uh, I wonder if fives see themselves as protectors. I suppose that's not out of possibility, but that feels like a something an eight would naturally slide into. There, there you go. Yep. It's, it's eight. Yeah, that's just, just, <laughs> or, just stamp that. <laughs> or a very secure five. Or, right. Who knows that part of his role in this society is, is as the protector. You are young, princess. With you age as I do, you realize we all lose everyone we love. That's a very nihilistic uh, <laughs> line. But when I lost my brother, just felt different. He suffered in silence. When he finally asked me to help him, I couldn't. How does that make sense? That the ancestors would give me gifts and skills to help me save my brother and I couldn't. Why? I don't have an answer for that question. 
my ancestors would often say, only the most broken people can be great leaders. Hey, we talked about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I admire what you have built here. And how you've protected your people. But as princess of Wakanda, I will not stand for you killing that young woman. My nation will not rest until I'm returned. I'm not leaving without her. We need to find a peaceful way to resolve this. It is no longer about the scientists. For centuries, the surface nations have conquered and enslaved people like us. Pause there. That's a unifying statement. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that's come into the movie yet in terms of like we are similar and they've enslaved people like us over, over resources. Since the day I buried my mother, I have prepared my people for the time they will come for us. And that machine is the sign that the time is now. I need to know if Wakanda is an ally or an enemy. There is no in between. This is the White Walkers are coming. It's it, it it's all the like. There's a lot of Game of Thrones in this character. And, and this is again why the movie doesn't work. Yeah. Why? Because why would you not start there, right? Like a an a leader as old as Neymar yeah. starts with, we have something in common. Let mm. us let us figure out how to go about this. Which is, again, what leads me to think he's an eight versus his response is, bring her to us and we'll kill her. Right? Like, it's, yeah. it's impulsive and not thoughtful. And, like, no, like everyone in the theater is thinking, except, you know, 13-year-old boys who just want to see the action sequences, <laughs> which I get because I was a 13-year-old boy at one point. Um, everybody else is thinking, is like, is that how you would start? Like, you yeah. would, like, let's start with murder. Um, and I'm going to seek accomplices in murdering a kid, right? And so it's a unifying conversation that should have happened at the beginning, but then you don't have a movie. You don't, there's no movie about people mm -hmm. working out a peaceful process to negotiate with, com with countries, right? <laughs> right. Um, so, um, Again, like personality wise, and I know like fives, like to, to TJ's point, right? Like fives in stress become out of touch with their feelings um, and the hoarding of resources. So that could very well be what's going on. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily like a physical domination or a world domination. It's just you become out of touch with your feelings. And whenever you're out of touch, with your, as someone who is feeling repressed, I know this intellectually. When you are out of touch with your own feelings, what that also means is you're out of touch with other people's feelings. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, like no one is feeling anything <laughs> because I'm not feeling anything. And then you're, um, then you do become the fives do begin to hoard resources, um, uh, and that's that's standard teaching of five personality traits. I don't find that to be true when fives are level or healthy, like when they're in average space or in healthy space, but in stress, they do very much become hoarders of resources. And, and it could be argued like, uh, to argue TJ's point that that's what's happening 
in this conversation. I also uh, think that this is another good sign of why the movie doesn't work from a completely different angle. Um, but but it does tie into uh, the idea of um, he. This scene is the tell not show of the the possibility that Namor actually has a bigger goal than just killing the scientist. That that this is not in fact a, a an emotional reaction. What it actually is is a test for Wakanda, hmm. and uh, like he needs to know if they're going to be allies. It's not about the scientist. He needs to know if Wakanda is going to do what he wants them to do, or if they're going to to be enemies in this fight. Because either you view things exactly the same way I do or you're wrong. And and I like again, this could be 5 or 8, but I I feel like the the sort of deceptiveness, the the holding the cards close to the chest, um he he's not coming out in a confrontation to see whether Wakanda is strong enough. He's testing them. You know, TJ, you said something there that's actually pretty obvious in the movie that I'd never put together. <laughs> Uh, maybe I should have watched it again today, like Jeff did <laughs> for the twenty third time. But um, again, it this is this is they're telling us this instead of showing us this throughout the whole movie. Yeah, but the idea of allies, we know through the movie that Wakanda has just discovered that the that the Talacons exist. Right. It just dawned on me that until. T'Challa makes his announcement at the UN that the Talacons don't know that Wakanda exists. Mm, sure. That's good. And so this very well may be a test to see who is it that we are dealing with. Sure. Um, and what kind of people are these? And so this serves exactly as that. As It, did, it didn't dawn on me that for both nations the other nation was a new entity that they mm-hmm. were trying to feel out. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about in terms of storytelling tropes. It's not, it, there's a lot of stories where the, the person discovers that they have a brother or that they have a sister that they never mm-hmm. knew of. And now they, they need to wrestle with that or a nephew or a cousin uh, in the first day. Uh, oh Yeah. Yeah. Black yeah. And all relationships are negotiating two things, right? Nego- relationships are how do we negotiate being together and separate at the same time? Mm. Mm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we, TJ and I just recorded on that last night. And <laughs> I had to put it as cleanly or succinctly as you just did. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I do not have time this week to re-record that episode. <laughs> See our deep dive into two, threes, and fours in the relationship on the lines, friends, uh, on the Around the Circle podcast. It, there's the, I discover I have a sibling, and there's also the discovery, and they also have nuclear weapons, right? Mm-hmm. Or they mm-hmm. also have the power that we know we have, and now there's suspicion. Mm-hmm. And what do you do? Shuri says to Namor then, So you plan to wage war on the entire world? And you want Wakanda to help you? That's madness. There isn't a nation that would have plundered Wakanda if given a chance. If we make an alliance, 
you can protect each other by striking them first. Then, when the threat of this nation has been eliminated, the scientists will be returned to Wakanda. It's a different posture. It's a preemptive posture. Uh, Namor hasn't taken that posture in 400 years, yeah? Mm-hmm. Probably could have wiped out some some folks 200 years ago. <laughs> Technology is getting way more advanced now. Sure, he says, if Wakanda does not accept, you know, this preemptive strike that Namor wants, what then? The scientists will die. And Wakanda will be the first nation to fall. It goes back to uh, my friends call me Akukukan, or mm-hmm. my enemies call me Namor. It's, mm-hmm. I'm either God or I'm going to destroy you. An attack on my people. Yes. I want you to listen to me. Wakanda cannot win a war with Talokan. I heard you that night with your mother in the river. You said you wanted to burn the world. Let us burn it together. There's going to be some fire images uh, here and... uh I suppose in that scene that we were talking about with Njadaka here soon. Also a good uh, good moment for understanding how uh, Namor views Shuri. Because he did not hear someone who was, who oh, was sure. screaming out of her heart to the only person who could hear her say that. Yep. He heard someone who was going to be a partner. Yep. And taking over the world. Because if you just waited five minutes... <laughs> Yeah. Instead of interrupting them. And, and this is a problem almost with all action movies, right? And the, which hardly anyone asks is how many people have to die for the people you love to live? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Breaking Bad is all over, uh, goes down that path hard. There is a point. I don't know what that point is. And I would not be willing to say what it is for anyone. There is a point where you're willing to kill so many people for the so few people that you love to survive that you actually become the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that another, uh, like, I, I don't know if this is an American theme, but I mean, uh, you know, rich man's war, poor man's fight is real mm-hmm. common. I, 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 I probably don't know enough about European theaters or Asian theaters to, to comment on those sorts of wars in the motives behind them but that is the villain Mm. the villain the the person who is sending hundreds of thousands of people uh, uh, vladimir putin is a villain he's sending countless men into places where they're going to get destroyed for what yeah i mean yeah it would be for people he loves it might be for his yacht (laughs) well and the question that denzel washington's character asks in the movie crimson tide right Mm -hmm. is that or, or the statement he makes that was like we have we reached the point now where war is the enemy yeah. itself yeah yeah like mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is just not go to war yeah. like that and if if we could do that like identify that as the enemy so you know what good is it right to for in Neymar's view all of the world not just the powers who are looking for vibranium but all of the world should die so that his people can live peacefully yeah right 
Love the hell out of Crimson Tide, by the way. I'm so glad that you quoted <laughs> Crimson Tide. Not brought up enough as a fantastic movie. Um, I wanted to end here because the theme, and you brought it up earlier, Sean, the theme of nationalism comes in real hard for me here. And it's I often think of nationalism in terms of American nationalism. I think there's absolutely a Wakanda nationalism going on and a Telekanian <laughs> nationalism at work here. When we get to the battle scene, the the language of war is filled with nationalistic phrases. For the queen, imperious Rex, and mm-hmm. dare we say, Wakanda forever. Mm-hmm. Is it not the case that these are nationalistic chance that have all you know it's a uh, nationalism i assume the two of you would also agree is is a form of idolatry that can be deeply dehumanizing yeah yeah oh yeah Sp- I mean, but but you know that's painted up against the wall of you know if you if you look at Njadaka from the first film mm-hmm. and a sister from the lost tribe and you look at namor's origin story what they're like um the world is willing to sacrifice the bodies of people of color. And sometimes we are, now is the opportunity to sacrifice our own bodies for our own people. That, that it's about agency yeah. of our bodies um, and having full agency. Cause we know, you know, Ramonda says at the beginning, like it's the theme that's kind of hanging over the whole movie. This idea mm-hmm. of like we know what they would do, yeah, yeah, right. And so when you say Wakanda, when they chant Talo Khan, um, and they say Wakanda forever, what they are saying is like this is our thing, our people, and we get to choose who we sacrifice our bodies for, and we would rather die than have you choose who we sacrifice how we sacrifice and use our bodies. Mm-hmm. Have they experienced that? The, the, the people in this movie are not American and none of them are being, have been sent to war, you know, <clears throat> by a, by an, uh, an Anglo culture that in theory doesn't care about the bodies of people of color. How are you? Am I, am I missing the connection there? How do you get there? How do I get there? I mean, like, the, because the theme is colonialism, right? So uh-huh. it's not about America. It's about whiteness, right? The, like, we should define that because uh, yeah. I think this is this is it has been really helpful for me recently in terms of folks who have talked about what is actually meant by mm. whiteness. Yeah, and so when folks talk about whiteness, they're not actually talking about white people, like right. your your white neighbor next door but whiteness as a frame of reference and a worldview about what is best for the world that has been pre- has been visited upon the world predominantly by people of Anglo-Saxon heritage and European heritage that says like that at the top of the food chain basically should be white people mm-hmm. and the structures and values and virtues that white people find most valuable so you can actually have plenty of people of color are deeply embedded in whiteness um you have people you have white people who are married to people of color and both partners in that relationship are embedded in whiteness 
-hmm. Whiteness is about a perspective of the world, not about a color of skin. And chief among where it gets its name is the idea that foundationally what's best for the world is for white people to be in charge. So that that's that's a quick I mean there's much yeah. more to it but that's just a quick run through. I need to revisit Ta-Nehisi Coates stuff that's where I was introduced to that mm. um and, and you, discussion. And a great way to introduce into that is Ta-Nehisi Coates's comics, his Black Panther comics. Yeah. That's um, a major yeah. theme. Yeah. Mm. So like to just to merge the horizon there um you can if you really interested in Black Panther, just read his Black Panther stories. I think to to close here because I, I think we'll pick up some of the how how this discussion plays out in the rest of the movie. I, re I recently watched Skyfall, and there's a great um, scene with James Bond, in which he's uh, in a room with a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist is making him free associate words. Mm -hmm. I'd like to start with some simple word association. Just tell me the first word that pops into your head. For example, I might say day, and you might say... Wasted. Gun. Short. Agent. Provocateur. Woman. Provocatrix. Heart. Target. Murder. Employment. And then he says... Country. England. The, the direct response that England is everything for me that that captured in a heroic sense and we know what it's like for somebody to be a, a hero and fight for their land i've said this a handful of times on this podcast that like i'm as close to a you know a, an absolutist in terms of uh uh non-violence as as you'll find but i'm really struggling and probably pushing more into i think that defending your your home and your and perhaps your community is a place that, you know, if if things push came to shove, that maybe uh, I may be struggling with exceptions there, and but that invites this: what sort of butchery are you willing to do, you know, for the sake of your home? Because if you, if you go down that road, you're you're going to get confronted with some some tough choices. And it seems like that's that's where these folks are all at. It's our homes going to be attacked. What are we willing to do when our home is attacked? Because it might not look very pretty. Right. And also, who is we? Yeah, the we becomes... It, well, I suppose in this conversation, is it, Namor is trying to expand we, isn't he? I don't think he necessarily is. I think he's trying to see whether we will be expanded. And will only include Wakanda. It's gonna be Telecon and w Wakanda as, like, we will see each other as, as partners. Partners. Yeah. I mean, it's alliances I, built. I, I think he's seeing we as a tactic. Like, will this work? Yes. Yeah. Whereas, as part of the conversation that's happening in Wakanda over the course of both Black Panther and this is uh is is wakanda just this country or is wakanda for the whole world yeah when we say wakanda forever do we mean just the people who live in this part of the world forever or do we mean the values and goodness and 
and things that are great about Wakanda should and and will last forever. So I really was, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because that was what I was trying to say in our last podcast. It came out sideways. I think Wakanda is home as an image. But the reason that Wakanda is home is because Wakanda in the MCU is actually heaven. Mm. And it's yeah. being communicated that way. That this mm. is the place of rest. This is the place of refuge. This is the place of goodness. This is the place where everything is as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um it's the unspoiled place and the central to these 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 movies is do you hide heaven do you unleash the fires of heaven or is it the case that heaven's supposed to engulf the earth there's your christian imagery Mm -hmm. the it seems to me that that uh, that may be a good place to land in terms of like i mean that I'm gonna I'm gonna pit myself into a corner here because I'm going against nationalism, and then all of a sudden Wakanda <laughs> is the is is uh, the eschaton. Um, uh, unless you realize, you know, what? Why say Wakanda forever, and why chant Talakan? Like nations are not just borders; they're ideas. Exactly. And yeah. so when, as you chant, like you're not chanting just for yeah. Uh, just for soil and, and and many things like this, like, you know, when Jerry Seinfeld talks about sports teams, right here, uh, you get new players all the time. So basically you're cheering for laundry. Like it's, yeah, yeah. it's more than, it's more than that. Like it's the idea of who we are. That's worth preserving mm-hmm. when they're, what they're talking about in that conversation is both nations are wrestling with who we're going to be now that we can no longer be what we were before. And that actually requires a death um, to move on to a new thing, to embrace and enter into a new phase or sphere always requires the death of the old. Mm-hmm. And so there, and, but there's when the, when death is approaching the death of the old, there is always a leader who wants to visit that death on other people rather yep. than absorb it themselves. And the first one that's in Jadaka here, it's Namor. Um, instead of our idea dying, people should die. And, and Okoye's doing that too. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. Th- yeah. Like the, the death of the idea is just a huge part of what it means to grow. To accept the death of an idea is to force yourself into growth. In the back of my mind, I'm like, I, I want to push into a space where I say, are there not some ideas that are everlasting that actually have a goodness that ought not to be sacrificed? Yeah, I don't know what the difference is between like enduring and everlasting. I think sure. there are ideas that are both. Mm-hmm. The great thing about everlasting ideas is that they can endure anything. Mm-hmm. This is, I I think that the sort of the crux of the central argument being put forward, like, like as the world changes, do we want to, the, the Wakanda is struggling with how do we change while maintaining the, the goodness that we represent and Talokan name Namor is trying to figure out how does the world change so that I can stay the same. Mm. This this all strikes me as again kind of central to the American conversation. The the question who are we? I imagine you would get countless 
different answers right now, and that's that seems to me a real problem. That's one of the problems with with unity in a culture like ours is that we might give very different answers to the question: What does it mean to be an American, or what does America stand for? What's the mm-hmm. heart of America? What's our identity? Um, what should we fight for? When people, as you were kind of saying, we were, it's just changing laundry. The flag is 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 made of cloth, but it, it invokes the emotion. And when you, if you were to say USA, 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 or if you were to sing the the songs that begin sporting events, mm-hmm. the interpretation of those songs end up hitting people in very different ways. And as a I mean, you're the philosopher. Do things have meaning, inherent meaning, or is it just the meaning that we bring to it? This is one of the, I, I think this is why, the, even to go into what the podcast is about, it, our motives matter so much to meaning itself. The, the, the role of desire in finding, discovering, unveiling, um, giving a name to things that matter, I don't know that it comes from any other place than motive. And that is human motive. It's also the motives of God. Like the, that is, I, I, I have such a hard time conceiving of anything that's depthier than that. And so which, like, yeah. Which brings in the conversation about, um, intention, mm-hmm. right? Which is a big conversation in racial justice. And you know, at what level do people's intentions matter over against the impact of those intentions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, t- in terms of advocacy, in terms of uh, assault, uh, both. In, in, in terms of, let's say, let's just keep it, you know, somewhat mild. Um, you've got a you've got a friend who does something super racist, right? Okay. Or there's a business that has racist practices, and someone says, "Well, that's not what I intended." At what level are we concerned about intention? over impact and what level are we concerned about impact over intention do we just say hey you know what it doesn't matter what your intention was this is how it impacts people Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the that's the main thrust or do people's intentions which are connected to their motivations matter greatly and if you're in a social justice framework if you're ad if you're advocating do you put your you know, um, King's speeches, for instance, were very much focused on intention. Mm-hmm. The work of the civil rights movement, people like Fred Gray, was very much focused on impact. Right. Mm-hmm. And so how how do people hold those, particularly when it comes to interpersonal relationships, um, is a big conversation. Uh, final thoughts? I don't really have anything to no. add. No. Me either. I mean, we've been talking for two and a half hours. Haven't we? <laughs> <It's true. laughs> I so thought that we were going to get through this whole thing. Oh, well. My wife would say, I don't know why you thought that. <laughs> Your wife is much wiser than I. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll conclude this next time. Friends, it would mean the world to us if you shared this episode with somebody you love, preferably who wanted to get into geopolitical issues and the motives of human beings <laughs> as it comes to uh, being displayed in superhero fantasy and, and the rest. Hey, Sean, do you, really, you, do you recognize that the Around the Circle folks meet once a month online uh, for, for Zoom interactions? I have I have been in a couple of those. Uh, they're, getting, they're getting better. Well, I'm, they were always great. 
<laughs> this is a lie. And if, <laughs> and, if, and if I could remember that they were happening, I would be there much more often. But I do have one of my congregants who drops in from time to time and then fills me in on um, what she disagreed with. <laughs> There's probably a lot to disagree with. If you want to meet with us uh, online, we have discussions with about 20 or so folks. Uh, or it, it's a great, it actually feels like a, very, uh, a good small small group of people to show up. But you can find that on, at aroundthecircle.org. Uh, just click on events. Our other two podcast feeds are Start Here, which is our Enneagram typing tool. And then uh, the Around the Circle podcast, which is our uh, discussion of personality typing theory. And both are available on podcasting platforms that you enjoy. I suppose that's what I got, you guys. Uh, Sean, it's always great having you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy your perspective and always enjoy when when, when you're able to, to get into your reservoir of knowledge on, on places that I really care about but haven't done the study in. It just, it's a delight to interact with you there. Thanks. And TJ. Yeah. You got anything else? I got nothing, man. It's TJ Wilson. It's officially awesome. Me, Sean Palmer. Incredibly thankful for you. I'm Jeff Cook. Who you aren't isn't interesting. What kind of forever? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Stay to the chopper! I drink your milkshake. To infinity and beyond. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me Shirley.